This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Today is MSP's equivalent to a State of the Union address. It's where we get an idea of what Matt's obsession is going to be over the next 12 months. I believe that's Matt's message for today is Carpool Diem, which seems to be pig Latin for Carpool Day. Matt, welcome to the show. That's your obsession for this year, carpooling. It's a bit of an old hat. Hey Jeff, Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> no, actually I'm going with a whole bunch of things and they have nothing to do with carpooling. Um, I thought Carpool DM might get me a bit more attention from Gen Y and Gen Z listeners than saying <laughs> Carpe DM and Quis Custodiet Ipsos Custodes. Wow, okay, anyway, seize the day and who watches The Watchmen? Yes, exactly what they mean. Um, I thought Carpool DM might appeal to, I don't know, James Corden fans. You know, we're always happy to broaden our audience a little bit. It's not the uh, the message that matters. It really is about the people. Um, so Carpe Diem, who watches The Watchmen, all of those things, that both of those things, they're just about us. So the obsession for this year is you, me, it's the listeners, mm. and of course, the changes that together we can all affect. All right, so we ended last year with a note of hope. Are you hopeful for what we can achieve this year? Well, as I said on the show last week, this is still the greatest time to be alive. And I really do stand by that belief. You know, we're surrounded by ideas. There's so much innovation. And we have the technology that's allowing us to achieve all of these unbelievable things. Mm. So if 2018 was about uh, the big tech companies and their failings, I think 2019 can be the year that we kind of flip our relationship with them and it becomes the year that's about us taking the power back from them. Is there enough realisation that people can actually do that? I think there's this kind of growing realisation. I mean, we see it in these kind of grassroots movements across the world. Uh, one of the benefits of the age of Twitter politics is that that relationship goes both ways. If you choose to govern by social media, then mm. you can also be held accountable on social media. So for social media to remain relevant, I think... Uh, people and and the social media companies are going to have to embrace that concept of people power. You don't think that people are prepared to be passive anymore? Well, technology has become dominated by a small group of really powerful companies. Mm. And that's not really the vision of the, the web that any of us had in mind when we, you know, looked at the potential of this <laughs> kind of technology. We bought into the ideas of de democracy, self-empowerment, freedom. But what we increasingly see are all of these walled gardens that compete for our attention. And they do everything they can to stop us leaving these kind of specially built uh, digital campuses. So as we said on the show last week, um, people are waking up to their own value and they're starting to realise that they're actually being shortchanged in this relationship or sometimes downright cheated. And what is this realisation? Well, I've been thinking about this, this topic for today's show for actually for a few weeks now. Uh, I read a piece by one of my favourite journalists, a guy called John Harris, uh, back in December. Now, I've been reading him for decades because he was a music writer back mm. when I was a, ki a kid. And in the past 10 or so years, he's become uh, an award-winning uh, political and social commentarian and uh, political journalist. Right. So I read this piece back in early December, I think. Um, I think it was probably on The Guardian. And it was about this subject that tech companies don't have to own our future, that we're not their subjects. 
So that's where I came to this kind of idea that we can both seize the day and be the watchman. I know they're not terribly original <laughs> concepts, um, but it's about reminding those companies whose interests they really need to look out for. Or we replace them. Well, if I was Facebook and Twitter, I would be really scared that the younger generations don't want to sign up and use those services, yeah. um, you know partly because they see the platforms as belonging to an older generation, to, to my generation, <laughs> to your generation, but also because of those privacy issues. So this is the first generation that has grown up in the exposure of the internet and the digital age, and they want more protection and a lot more granular control. Isn't that also the generation that doesn't think they can change the big tech companies? Well, it's a generation that sees Facebook as a, a pillar and uh, an institution and not just Facebook, you know, Google and Twitter and Apple and a lot of these companies because these companies have always had a powerful role in their lives even if they're not actively using those platforms. Whereas for older generations, these companies are still the new kids on the block. Uh, so I see kind of a merging of the viewpoints. The older generation that knows companies like these can be transient, that they, they can be changed, that their power can be reduced mm. or reined in. And the younger generation that puts limits and costs on the information that they're willing to share with these companies. Okay, let's say, assuming we have the power to change, what should we be asking for? Well, let's start with uh, with Facebook. So Mark Zuckerberg sets himself a challenge every year. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's reading books. Uh, he's had learning a language. I think it was Mandarin before. Uh, one year it was to travel to every single US state. Last year, he challenged himself to tackle issues like hate speech and election uh, interference, the things that have bedeviled Facebook and other social media platforms over the last year. <laughs> so yes, you're laughing. So I'm not going to comment on how well he's achieved those mm. things in uh, 2018. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, um, you know, all of our listeners have their own opinions on that. Uh, well. So what's his challenge for 2019? Well, it at the time that we prepared this, he hasn't come okay. out with it. I've been looking at his posts nothing every yet. single day. Nothing yet. Oh, right. Just uh, just that recap on what he achieved in 2018, <laughs> which went on for a lot of paragraphs. It's probably going to go um, back to visiting every state. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that's the safest do. bet. Um, but I did uh, read an interesting piece again on The Guardian where they asked entrepreneurs, politicians, activists and academics what they thought his challenge would be. But more importantly, it asked them what they thought his challenge should be. And what do they think it would be? Well... In terms of what it will be, more of the same old, same old, um, do better, learn another language. Um, what they think it should be was actually a lot more interesting um, because, you know, sometimes it's easy to think that you're screaming in the wind when mm. you're saying a lot of this stuff. Uh, so it's interesting to hear mainstream voices, not just echoing um, the sentiments we have on this show, but going a lot further than the things we said. So I was surprised at how many of the commentators suggested that Zuckerberg should simply stand aside. Resign. Well, why not? I mean, it's not hmm. that far-fetched an idea. So Elon Musk was pressured to step aside at Tesla. Yeah. Um, that was down to activism of a sort. Uh, his shareholders lost confidence in him. The public was losing confidence. And, you know, what has he done since then? Well, that will probably take me an hour to list. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. You know, I'm sure that he's annoyed that he's no longer running the car company's day-to-day -day operations, mm. but it does free him up to get back to the wild and crazy visionary stuff that we love him for, um, some of which we're actually going to be speaking Later. about in Geeks yeah. after the break. So, you know, let other people spend all day looking at spreadsheets and go and look out of a, a window, I don't know, and imagine the future instead. So you want Mark Zuckerberg to go off and imagine the future? 
Well, um, yeah, <laughs> when you phrase it like that. Um, one of the things we talked about last week was CEOs being more than the face of tech companies. They've kind of become their brand. And I think it's time that Facebook moved past Mark Zuckerberg. Sure, even if he resigns, he still controls most of the shares. Mm. Uh, and for sure, he would remain a, a constant presence on the board. But maybe it's time to let the platform grow and to be more than just the personality of its founder. Is there any guarantee that it would make Facebook a better company? No, no, no guarantee at all. I mean, it might be way, way worse. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you don't know, but yeah. um, it would make it much clearer for users, I think, mm. that Facebook is a company. It's not Mark Zuckerberg's plaything. And I think that would allow us to be a lot more dispassionate about what we expect from the company and what we expect it to give us in return. And I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned earlier about technology being dominated by so few big players. Well, I think this is one area where the changes are already starting to, to push in our direction. So uh, a few shows ago, we talked about uh, US Congressman Ro Khanna and his mm. legislation to set up tech universities and training centers across the US to try and spread the benefits of new industries and technologies and, uh, and make those available to people so they don't have to migrate to Silicon Valley. It comes at a time when lawmakers seem to be serious about reining in some of the worst excesses of the technology industry. Parallel to this realisation uh, is that us, the, the users, our information is being misused, mishandled and misrepresented. So, yeah, I think the time is right to make some changes and perhaps to remap that, that vision of our future. So put an end to the Wild West nature of the internet. Well, I want wouldn't want to put an end to all of that chaos. Mm. You know, uh, in fact, by loosening the grip of these kind of tech titans, we might actually have more chaos. What we do need, I think, are more rules and much clearer rules. At the moment, the rules tend to favour the big players. Uh, for example, some of the recent copyright legislation that the EU brought in in 2018 could make it harder for new players to enter the market because even though they were designed to prevent the big players from abusing or using third-party content, there's actually a very real fear that those laws could uh, uh, limit free speech. Mm. Because, for example, just by quoting from an article on a third-party site, it could be judged to be infringing copyright. But it's unlikely. Yeah, but you see, people don't set up businesses for unlikely. Uh, ideally, if you're setting up some kind of uh, tech business or a portal or an app, you want to know if your business model is going to get you sued or not. You want to know if it's legal. You need that clarity. Uh, but the good thing is, and I think it goes back to what we were saying about Twitter diplomacy, lawmakers are also getting instant feedback on what they say and they do. And the results are not always pretty. Does that mean they're listening? Well, that's kind of where the next step comes in, because if they're not listening, then we have to unseat them, mm -hmm. um, vote for someone else, vote for people with the skills uh, and the policies who are going to fight on your behalf. Because when it comes to voting, you know, things like taxes and jobs are important, but don't vote for people who are making it easier for big companies to automate jobs and avoid taxes. And that just puts more of the burden back onto the people like us and, of course, the, the governments that support us. Mm. We own the future. That's today's topic. We'll be right back with more after this. BFM 89.9. Burning for more. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. 
And we're back. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Together with Culture Pops, Matt Armitage. Before the break, we were looking at MSP's latest obsession. You, the listener, the user, the boss. And we were looking at ways to break Silicon Valley's dominance of innovation and development. So Matt, is Silicon Valley's power starting to decline now? I don't know if decline is the right word. I think there's still a role. I mean, there's definitely still a role for (laughs) venture capital and angel investors. But we too used to it being presented as a kind of either-or equation. There's no reason for Silicon Valley to dominate technology, either in terms of location or in terms of funding. What I think we may see is a change in terms of uh, the kind of wild funding and the expectation for huge results. I think investors are getting fed up with betting on potential rather than looking at a balance sheet. And that's a good thing. Well, I think so, because, you know, all investing is a bet, ultimately, Hmm. which is why you look to mitigate that risk. That's why you look at income and profitability. With some tech companies, it seems that investors want to get in early and head for that quick exit. Uh, that's fine. You know, some companies are designed to ride trends and fashions and everyone can get rich fairly quickly. Uh, other companies who end up with million, you know, multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. valuations mm-hmm. but very little money coming in, you know, people are rightly wondering when those companies are ever going to turn the investments into profits. You think we'll see fewer entrepreneurs with a quick exit in mind? Well, I hope we're going to see a change in focus and more of a return to uh, long-term sustainable businesses. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the part of the the Wild West period that I'd like to see Mm. coming to an end. Uh, You know, to get that sense that entrepreneurs, founders are essentially trying to flip companies and get rich and get out. Um, I think BFM is a great example of a startup in the digital era. It's a sustainable business with a very bright future. Thank you, mate. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It has a community focus, but it's harnessing both traditional radio users and those that prefer the bite-size on-demand convenience of podcast. So it's not a binary offering. You can appeal to that old world while successfully entering new markets and bringing in the potential of technology. And of course, without losing that focus of who you are and what you're actually doing this for. Does that open the door for more socially focused and perhaps, you know, less aggressively profit oriented businesses? Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't mean that those businesses will have more access to funding, but you know, that's where we come in. Uh, We've chatted a little bit over the last few months about the ways that blockchain technologies can be used Mm. to empower refugees or give access to banking and money transfer services to those who aren't in the regular banking system. So those inventions, those apps, those systems have a really important place in our future. But they're unlikely to make their inventors billionaires. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because we've got this kind of backwards view of technology startups that they're worthless unless their founders can cash out to the tune of many millions. Mm. We forget that most traditional entrepreneurs, most business owners are not rich. Their businesses support them, they support their families, and they support the people they employ. They provide a valuable, sometimes invaluable service for the people they serve. And we have to start treating tech startups like normal businesses in that sense, that becoming a sustainable but small tech business in the heart of a community is a success and not a failure. Surely by connecting people, companies like Apple and Facebook also perform an invaluable service. Well, we talk about social media connecting people and overcoming loneliness, and I get that, and there is some truth to that. But, um, you know, when you think about somebody who's old and on their own, Mm. 
Facebook or Twitter or a smartphone may connect that person to their friends, their family. It may even connect them to health and other essential services. But are those services more valuable to that person than their local shop or post office? You mean places where they can have genuine social contact? Yeah, uh, or the local pub or cafe where they can sit and <laughs> chat with people. You know, those community services... They are commercial businesses. So why do we treat them as being less valuable than a Facebook or an Apple or a Huawei? You know, at a global level, some politicians or trade envoys may say, yes, those big companies are more valuable. But in terms of their influence on individual lives, maybe not. So you want to see more socially focused startups? Well, I don't think there's actually a lack of them. Um, I think what we should all be doing is... uh, you know, doing more to publicize social Mm. startups. Um, More importantly, I think we should be helping to fund them, whether through crowdfunding or through our taxes. And I think people are ready to have those conversations. Uh, They're already reassessing the social value of companies like Facebook and Google. So maybe the idea of the, the, the role that these companies should play in our societies is shifting too. And that's not really our decision, though. We can't direct the actions of Facebook or Google. Well, I mean, we say that, but, um, you know, earlier when we were talking about the experiences of the Gen Y and Gen Zers and the experiences of the the baby boomers and Gen X and all of those experiences coming together, well, that's kind of where we can start to direct things because we are all using these services because they're the most popular. But there are plenty of alternatives. And as much as we deride them, Bing and Yahoo do have serviceable search (laughs) engines. Uh, A lot of people have started using DuckDuckGo, a search engine which is focused on privacy. So these big companies are successful because we make them successful by using them. That gives us enormous power because we can choose not to use them. And that then gives us the power to unmake these companies again. Why do you think we're hearing more calls for privacy from Europe rather than the US? Well, one of the the reasons I enjoyed the John Harris article that I mentioned at the start was because uh, he was putting this into the context of Europe's post-war history. So the US has enjoyed pretty much continuous freedom since independence Hmm. from the British in 1776. The same cannot be said of most of the rest of the world. Uh, Europe, Asia and Africa had a really turbulent time in the 19th and 20th centuries. Countries conquered each other and were vanquished. Their peoples were annexed and taxed and controlled. And of course, a large chunk of Europe was under communist influence for the best part of 50 years. So there's a greater respect for individual rights. I think there's a more current memory of being denied access to those rights. Mm. Um, Those personal freedoms, the power to stop the people in power from controlling the flow of information, uh, governments that effectively denied you the right to a private life in the name of the state or the party. Those are all powerful memories in a lot of countries around the world. You see those same freedoms being uh, nurtured and valued across Asia and Africa, and the struggle to obtain those freedoms in a lot of countries. Mm. So unlike the US and I guess the UK as well, most people don't have the benefit of hundreds of years of freedom and protection 
to take their privacy for granted. In the broader sense, how can we use this power to improve our lives and our societies? Well, as I said before, you know, not all technology should be for profit or at least not for massive profit. Mm. So I'll use some of the examples John Harris discovered when he attended one of TechCrunch's Disrupt conferences in Berlin recently. So he was talking about a team from Lebanon that has an app for diabetics. It does the usual stuff like monitor blood sugar levels, sends you push notifications to remind you to take medicine. But it also accesses local location data. Mm. So it will recommend restaurants and food choices that will actually meet with your dietary requirements. Uh, There was another one where a group of developers in Berlin were using the same principles that power autonomous vehicles to create a navigation system for the blind. Uh, Or one of my favorites, a a new startup called uh, Nuzera, which looks at your your, um, profile, it looks at the kind of information you like, and it deliberately pushes you out of your comfort zone over time. So it learns your preferences and it adds information from sources you wouldn't normally go to. So it's introducing (laughs) new viewpoints and voices and opinions into your reading material. So there's some really interesting things out there, but not things that are likely to turn anyone into a tech billionaire. And where do we fit in? Well, because... These apps and services, they, they can't exist in a bubble. Uh, great ideas still need money to develop them. And that's where our kind of Silicon Valley and venture capital and angel investing culture falls down. Uh, Google could come up with a navigation project for the blind, but only if it was looking to do it as a write-off or if those blind users created data that it could monetize. So our role is in deciding how these things are going to be funded. Like a social development fund. Well, we could demand that our nations have social development funds for this kind of application in the same way that we have sovereign wealth funds Mm. uh, because those funds could come with the caveat of affordability. If you accept the money from a a state organisation, then the results, the findings, the products, the services have to be affordable and accessible to everyone because too many tech advances are priced beyond the reach of most ordinary people. Another option, as we discussed before, is to fund companies directly. So most crowdfunding sites allow various tiers and types of investment. You can donate and forget, you know, just give somebody $10, or you can become a more integral part of that development and ownership process. And, of course, there is the the academic route as well, the kind of training facilities and locally-based acceleration and development opportunities that politicians like Rokana are suggesting and putting forward. All right. So what would this version of society with us in charge look like? Well, obviously, I have an idea, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's not about building my dream of the future. The point is that it should be everyone's to determine. So I think rather than looking to Silicon Valley, which, let's face it, for most of us is really remote. I mean, how many kilometers away from Silicon Valley are we? We We're what? 15,000 kilometers from Silicon Valley. I mean, it literally means nothing to us. Um, Tech innovations and startups should be a normal feature of most towns and cities, and they should be serving up projects that meet the needs of those towns and their populations. And it's kind of ironic that we're at this point where technology and apps are so finely tuned that they can serve you information that is specific to a radius of literally a few meters from where you're standing. So we have this amazing ability to be hyper-local and hyper-relevant. So it seems really weird that we're concentrating ownership in the hands of a few global giants. So as the synth philosophers Andy Bell and Vince Clark once said, 
it doesn't have to be like that. Hmm. Matt Amatech says we own the future, but if you've heard any of his shows before, it's actually he owns the future. I don't want to own all well. of it. Well, you know, most of it, at least yeah. my mind. As long as, as, long as you accept <laughs> King Jafar, then all will be good. Yep, and we'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.